This is the SFF Audio Podcast. I'm Scott. I'm Jesse. I'm Tomahome. Hello, fellas. Hello. I have got Hello. some genuine science fiction in our recent arrivals pile, so I'm very excited. How refreshing. Is it, is it 100% genuine? No, not, not 100 I mean, the whole stack isn't. But there is some in okay. there that is 100% genuine. Great. Shall I begin? Please, please um, do. First one just came in. Um, the release date on this one is not till July 29th. But it is the year's top 10 tales of science fiction, volume 3, from um, Infinivox, edited by Alan Castor. And um, Alan has agreed to be on the podcast. He'll be on um, in early August. It's like the 6th of August or something like that. Cool. Yeah, fantastic. So the, mm. the table of contents, this is um, an unabridged audio collection of the best of the best science fiction stories written in 2010. So, here's the list. Under the Moons of Venus by Damien Broderick. Do you want a little description of each story? Sure. Okay. Um, A man who has returned to a mostly deserted Earth from a terraformed Venus with Luna and Ganymede as moons longs to go back to Venus. Flower, Mercy, Needle, Chain by Yoon Ha Lee. A construct meets with an assassin... That is, the keeper of a gun that erases a victim's entire lineage to secure the destruction of another gun made by the same gunsmith. Eight Miles by Sean McCullen. In this steampunk story, an English lord hires a balloonist to take him and a non-human female to a great height in order to learn the secrets of another world. Alone by Robert Reed, set in the Marrow universe, a traveler aboard the great ship has eschewed contact and remained alone for longer than seems possible. A letter from the Emperor by Steve Rasnick Tem, an imperial envoy visits an outlying colony where a retiring colonel, whose memory is suspect for security reasons, claims to have fought alongside the Emperor. The Shipmaker by Aliette de Bodard. A maker of living spaceships has her career threatened by the birth of a sentient mind that will come before the ship that will house it, that will come before the ship that will house it will be ready. Does that make Hmm. (laughs) sense? Yeah, I'm sensing a pattern here. Okay. Recrossing the Sticks by Ian R. McLeod. An entertainer aboard a cruise ship, which is Luke Burridge, falls in love with a zombie husband's (laughs) minder and schemes to free her from her marriage. Elegy for a Young Elk by Hanu Raji... Boy, I'm sorry about not pronouncing this right. R-A-J-A-N-I-E-M-I. The gods use a real human to retrieve something important from a city that has become sentient and surrounded by a firewall that protects against gods. The Emperor of Mars by Alan M. Steele. A contract worker on Mars becomes enamored with the science fiction retrieved from NASA's Phoenix Lander that arrived on the red planet back in 2008. Is that... That's odd, isn't it? A contract worker on Mars becomes enamored with the science fiction retrieved. I think that must be an error. No. Okay. Uh, Didn't they send send a a CD? Oh, uh, maybe they did. I'm pretty sure... I think I posted about that. Okay, so, all right. Back in 2008. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
And lastly is The Things by Peter Watts, a retelling of John W. Campbell's classic movie, The Thing, from, uh, yeah, it should be classic story, or is it the movie? John W. Campbell's movie? It's not yeah, his movie. Uh, yeah, it's not his movie. It's his story. It says, a retelling of John W. Campbell's classic movie, The Thing, from the perspective of the shape-shifting alien confronting a group of scientists in Antarctica. So I wonder if it's a retelling of the story or if he's retelling the movie. I, I've heard it. It's a good, uh, it was on some podcast and it was an excellent, excellent uh, story. Fantastic. Yeah, it's very short. Cool. I heard so, it too. Yeah, good. Um, yeah, especially the story told from the thing's point of view. Awesome. I'll tell you the one that upsets me the most is it's supposed to be a science fiction story and yet it's called Eight. Eight miles. It should be called, eight, uh, you know, like twelve point nine kilometers or something like that. <laughs> because Who honestly, says miles anymore? you know, if you don't even, if you can't even fix it in the fiction, how is it ever going to get changed in reality? You don't uh, like we miles. Got, we, got a, we got. Oh, come on. You, you, you know what's wrong with the United States right now? It's all exemplified by the fact that the entire world is using. Metric system, except for the United States, because <laughs> they know that it it can't be sold politically. I mean, look at look at the fight they're having over light bulbs, right? <laughs> <laughs> having a massive fight in Congress over over you know the the old fashioned incandescent light bulb being uh, you know it's uh, un American not to make it available in in stores or something like that. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, un American to ban them. I, or something like that, right? But it uses too much energy. But they can't. They can't. There, there's no chance that they can. They can get their act together enough to to switch over to kilometers, and meters, and centimeters, and millimeters, and kilograms, and yeah, I grams. am surprised that it hasn't happened already. Because they, you know, in school they teach us all that. You know, I'm forty. I'm forty three years old, and I was taught all the metric system in elementary school. So surely uh, other people were. Now, Britain, Britain changed from having you know pence and and uh, half pennies and all that stuff. Now they just have a normal system <laughs> like everybody else. It's base ten and nice and simple. Yeah, I, I'm sure Dan Simmons would agree that America is way behind everybody else. I think it was I think it was in Corner Gas. One of the characters in Corner Gas was saying, "Hey, just be quiet. We won the war." What? <laughs> Yeah, so there. that was a Canadian show. He said, "Yeah, we're going to use feet." I don't get it. <laughs> All right, it's the American to get it. All right. All right. Next, I, 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 Here, okay, here's just, something uh, that Larry Niven has called a masterpiece. Oh, "Harvest of Stars" by Paul Anderson, read by Tom Weiner. Um, Earth. It's this is book one in the "Harvest of Stars" series. This is from Blackstone. Earth lies crushed in the grip of totalitarianism. Totalitarianism. (laughs) Thank you. To save her planet, Kyra Davis is sent on a mission to liberate the last bastion of freedom and to rescue its legendary leader. Her bold adventure will sweep her from Earth's rebel enclaves to the decadent court of an exotic lunar colony. Um, Anyway, yep, 19 hours. I just got a copy of that on... uh... Uh, old hardcover book club edition. Cool. Mm-hmm. I might yeah. have to, might have to get that from you. That's fantastic. So this is uh, from 1993. Is that right, or is it older than that? Yeah. Okay. 93. All right. 
Good deal. And another one. Also by Paul Ederson. <clears throat> now this time Jerry Pornell says, hey, this is great. An unforgettable novel with a cast as big as mankind and an adventure that charts the course of time. Read it, enjoy it, savor it, says Jerry Pornell. This is The Boat of a Million Years by Paul oh. Anderson. Also read by Tom Wiener. Um, others have written science fiction on the theme of immortality, but in The Boat of a Million Years, Paul Anderson has made it his own. Early in human history, certain individuals were born who live on, unaging, undying, through the centuries and millennia. This story follows them over 2,000 years, up to our time and beyond, to the promise of utopia and the challenge of the stars. A milestone in modern science fiction and a New York Times notable book when first published in 1989, this is one of a great writer's finest works. Should be a kilometer stone, but other than that, it <laughs> sounds all right. <laughs> it's a kilometer uh, police now. 20 hours long. Yep. <clears throat> Good deal, and that's and that's from Blackstone. Mm-hmm. It is. Okay, cool. Yep. Both those are. But from should Blackstone. we change? Should we change ours to some other base ten denomination? Uh, I, I think. See the, the I I as a kid I tried to solve this problem, and mm-hmm. you know days should be ten hours long, week should be, uh, ten days long, right? It seems reasonable. Yeah. Um. The only problem is, is uh, unlike. Uh, meters and centimeters, which are completely um, abstract, right? They're not based on any reality. They're just based on a... Um, there's a meter stick in France made out of silver, and that is everything that the the metric system is... is you know, you, you want to know what a meter is? You want to go figure out exactly what a meter is? What you do is you go and measure that stick again, right? Under a certain set of temperatures and such. That's a completely abstract way of figuring out uh, an entire system. Well, days are, are measured uh, based on a not a not, not an abstract system. They're based on reality, right? They're based mm-hmm. on how long it is between the sun going up and the sun coming down, and and the cycle starting over again. Right. It's and not so, always exactly the same. And so, you know, a day on Mars is is uh, twenty five hours long, right? Uh, and their year is twice as long as ours. So it would make logical sense to have a, a, a universal system for uh, how long a day is, how long an hour is, how long a minute is, all that stuff, uh, if we were on other planets. However, we're not. Right. right. I think I think Charlie Strauss just uses seconds, and then he says, like, kiloseconds, megaseconds. And he just, uh, well, mega would just be a million it. seconds, right? Right. That's Exactly. So uh, I think, I mean, they spent more than 2,000 years trying to figure out how, how to make the calendar work properly. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, they have not spent 2,000 years trying to work uh, out how to get the metric system working because it actually works really, really well. But it's because it's based on an abstract, not on a... I mean, we could do it. We could do it. It's just it wouldn't be as useful as... as uh, I, I know you're just treating it as a joke, but it's serious <laughs> to me. All right. <laughs> hey, we, we should just go and to the mind free Apocalypse Al. Yeah, and free That's Apocalypse right. Al. <laughs> and, re, and every diatribe must end. Free Apocalypse <laughs> Al. I love it. I love it. All right. Got another one here. And this and, one looks and really Yang interesting. And must be unaudible. Yes. He should. <laughs> exactly. 
This one looks really interesting to me. I, I hope to get to listen to this one. This is um, Steel Across the Sky by Nancy Cress, read by Kate Redding, also from Blackstone. Um, it's 11 hours long. Um, this description really captures my attention. The aliens appeared one day, built a base on the moon, and put an ad on the internet. We are an alien race you may call the Atoners. 10,000 years ago, we wronged humanity profoundly. We cannot undo what has been done, but we wish humanity to understand it. Therefore, we request 21 volunteers to visit seven planets to witness for us. We will convey each volunteer there and back in complete safety. Volunteers must speak English. Send requests for electronic applications to witness at atoners.com. <laughs> at first, everyone thought it was a joke, but it wasn't. This is the story of three of those volunteers and what they found on Kular A and Kular B. I thought I thought when you said steel across the sky, I thought it was like S-T-E-E-L, mm-hmm. but it's actually S-T-E-A-L, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, steel across the sky is like, uh, I don't know, an uh, artificial ring circling the planet or something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, steel across the sky is a get your way across the sky. I don't know. Yeah. So, sounds interesting. It does sound interesting. I wonder where she'll go with it. I bet this is a brand new book as opposed to um, the Will Anderson's old ones. Yes, it is. Sorry, guys. That is my phone. Catchy. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. All right. That was a text message. Okay. Next, we have... um, This is from Brilliance, and this is another fellow we're going to have on the podcast. Uh, His name is Paul Malmont. This is called The Astounding, The Amazing, and The Unknown. Um, See, it's read by Christopher Lane. In 1943, when the United States learns that Germany is on the verge of a deadly innovation that could tip the balance of the war, the government turns to an unlikely source for help, the nation's top science fiction writers. Installed at a covert military lab, within the Philadelphia Naval Yard are the most brilliant of these young visionaries. These un- this unruly band um, is led by Robert Heinlein, the dashing and complicated master of the genre. His kamikaze group, which includes the ambitious genius Isaac Asimov, is tasked with transforming the wonders of science fiction into science fact and unlocking secrets to invisibility, death rays, force fields, weather control, and other astounding phenomena, and finding it harder than they ever imagined. When a a German spy washes ashore near the abandoned Long Island ruins of a mysterious energy facility, the military begins to fear that the Nazis are a step ahead of Heinlein's group. Now the oddball team, joined by old friends from the pulp era, including L. Ron Hubbard, uh, must race to catch up. And that's so that. this is um, not exactly a sequel, but it's it's set, uh, uh, I, I guess, after the events of the previous novel, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, called The Chinatown Death Cloud Peril, which I've read part of. Um, and that that's... Uh, was more about L. Ron Hubbard and uh, I guess uh, maybe not L. Ron Hubbard. Maybe it was uh, Lester Dent, who's mm-hmm. uh, he, he's the guy who um, who invented uh, Doc Savage, and uh, I think Lovecraft was in that as well. Mm-hmm. So basically, what he's doing is remixing uh, historical figures into stories that are kind of uh, like like. Um, like what they wrote about. So, you know, oftentimes uh, they'll take a Edgar Allan Poe story and then make Edgar Allan Poe the star mm-hmm. of that story. 
um, well, that's the same kind of thing. He's taking um, science fiction pulp era writers and putting them in pulp era stories. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds, sounds fun. Yeah. It sounds like a really fun book. So um, yeah, I'm I have a complaint about the cover though. Um, yeah. the covers is kind of boring and they could have spiced it up about a thousand percent by, by using the actual font from each of the magazines that are in the title. Right. Oh, it's that would have been cool. Yeah. A, way better. Um, mm-hmm. it's the astounding, the amazing, and the unknown, astounding, amazing, and unknown have very distinctive font lettering for their, their, uh, their titles that would have made me, uh... Oh, I didn't even get that until you just it, said it. Well, it, it, this has to be what it's about, right? Yeah, yeah you're, sure. You're, you're, I'm sure you're right. And so, um, it would have just made it stand out a thousand percent more. Mm-hmm. They should have consulted you. <laughs> should, I'll, I'll do my own version for, up for you guys. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> Not that All hard. Right. Okay, next up we've got Richard Matheson, a book called Shadow on the Sun. Read by Mark Bramhall from Blackstone Audio. Southwest Arizona, a century ago. An uneasy truce exists between the remote frontier community of Picture City and the neighboring Apaches. That delicate peace is shredded when the bodies of two white men are found hideously mutilated. The angry townspeople are certain the savages have broken the treaty. But Bill John Finley, the local Indian agent, fears that darker, more unholy forces may be at work. There's a tall, dark stranger in town who rode in wearing the dead man's clothes. A stranger who may not be entirely human. Originally published Mass Market Western in 1994, Shadow on the Sun has been largely overlooked by horror fans and general readers. But this tale of supernatural terror is sure to chill the blood of Matheson's many fans. It's got uh, really interesting reviews on um, Amazon. Um, listen to the description of, you know, I guess the title of each review. Short, good Good read. <laughs> yeah. Short read, good read. Uh, surprised. Much better than I was expecting. Took me by surprise. Um, hmm. It's and, five and a half hours. Yeah, and it's very positive. You know what? That's That's got to be something I should do. Cool. Because, Sounds good. Because uh, I've done a lot of Richard Matheson books, and um, I generally like them, but uh, I keep hoping that they're going to live up to I Am Legend. You know, mm, yeah, yeah, and they never do. Um, they're often, you know, very small stories. But I, I think maybe a horror story. I haven't done. I don't think I've seen him do a horror story before, other than I Am Legend. Cool. Maybe okay. Will Smith will make a movie out of it. <laughs> you bet. You bet. All right. Um, also from Blackstone. This is um, a fantasy. We talked about the first book. This one's called Gatherer of Clouds by Sean Russell. Read by Lillian Alexander. Um, neat cover. Um, it's the Initiate Brother series, book two. And last time we talked about book one. So we've got book one floating around here too. Um, looks like it was originally published in 1992. Um, the description here is, As the plum blossom winds herald spring in the Emperor, Empire of Wa, Brother Shayun, spiritual advisor to Lord Shanto, military governor of the province of Se receives a shocking message from the barbarian lands. The massive army of the Golden Khan is poised at their border. Forced to retreat south, Lord Shanto is caught between the pursuing barbarian hordes and his own hostile emperor's imperial army. Even as this trap closes on Shanto and his allies, 
Lady Nishima is involved in court intrigue and dangerous romantic liaison while Brother Shoyun faces a crisis of his own. For in the same scroll that warned of the invasion was a sacred Udumbara blossom, a sign his order has awaited for a thousand years, a sign that the great teacher has finally been reborn, and now it may fall to one young monk with extraordinary powers to save his empire. So this is the guy uh, who lives on Vancouver Island, which is not in Vancouver. Ah. Um, mm-hmm. I guess it was a couple of weeks ago we, we got the first book in that series. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, so kind um, of a Chinese fantasy novel, but, you know. Sounds sounds like it from the names. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, and the cover the cover is really nice. It's a nice uh, piece of art on there, and it's uh, definitely got a Chinese flavor to it. Is it uh, got some mountains in the backdrop and uh, a gate in the foreground? Um, no, this one has uh, a bridge and uh, that's an arc with a kind of a Chinese looking. Um, I don't know what you'd call it. It's got a, a roof and four legs. Okay. Yeah. And there's Walking some Chinese building. writing on some banners, and then um, the red by Lillian Alexander, unabridged, is kind of painted on there. <laughs> so it looks oh. really cool. I mean, it looks painted on there. It's probably just a font, but it looks really good. Very well done. Nice looking cover. Cool. All right. Um, next Very positive up. reviews, by the way, oh, on uh, that series. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Okay. 39 reviews, four and a half stars. So that's that's pretty that is good. pretty high up there. Yeah, sure is. All right. Oh, that's just nice. This is a nice. Uh, listen to this one. Title: Perfection is within your grasp. Five stars. <laughs> wow. Wow, that's, that's nice. nice. Yeah. Cool. Okay, Anne McCaffrey and Todd McCaffrey, brand new Dragon Riders of Pern novel. This is from Brilliance called Dragon's Time, performed by Emily Duranti. Um, let's see, even though Lorana has cured the plague that was killing the dragons of Pern, sacrificing her queen dragon in the process, ooh, that would be a spoiler, the the effects of the disease were so devastating that there are no longer enough dragons available to fight the fall of the deadly threat. And as the situation grows more dire, a pregnant Lorana decides that she must take drastic steps in the quest for help. So... Dragon Riders of Pern. How many uh, CDs is that? This one is 10. Okay, that is getting really negative reviews. Hmm. 26 reviews, two and a, two and a half stars, uh, mostly one star, 11, 11 one star reviews. Disappointed, extremely disappointing, farcical in the extreme. Wow. Hmm. I've not read much uh, Anne McCaffrey. No, I don't think I've read a single Anne McCaffrey novel, but I have. Oh, maybe I have. But uh, I know like some of her short fiction was just amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, I've read um, the first few Dragon Riders books. I think the, the trilogy that was out, Dragon Rider. I think Dragon Rider's the first one. The White Dragon was the third one. Dragon Quest, I think, is the second one. I've read those. Just wondering, do you, How'd you like him? I liked him very much. Yeah, that was a long, okay. long time ago during high school. Way think, long ago. But yeah, the, I liked him. Do you think this is a collaboration like uh, where... I, th- I think says, it's her and her son. Yeah. It is, her right. and her son, yeah. But so when her and her son, she say, here, uh, why don't you write some books? I'm, I'm not into writing anymore. And she says, okay, 
Or do you think it's like she writes some and he writes some? Hmm. No idea. Yeah, collaborations can go so many different ways. Indeed. Yeah. It could be like Tom Clancy, like he just gives an outline and yeah, I, someone else does it. Because, um, I mean, uh, that's a uh, you know the Herbert thing, right? The yeah. uh, what's his name, Brian Herbert? Yeah, right. And mm-hmm. Ken Anderson, Kevin Anderson, mm-hmm. post. Yeah. Okay. All right. Now here's one uh, that is fantasy on the of the D and D flavor. Um, Tracy Hickman, Citadels of the Lost. Uh, performed by Phil Gigante. The Ronus Empire of Elves is built upon a thirst for conquest, disdain for other races, and an appetite for hedonistic self-gratification. They have complete control of the ether, the mystical substance that fuels their magic. One use of this ether is enough er, er, is to compel total obedience of the slaves drawn from the races they have defeated. But there are legends that tell of a time when humans and other slave races were free and dragons flew the skies. And they speak of a hero who will return to lead an uprising against their masters, a human named Dracus. When air magic, the magic of nature itself, is wielded by Jugar, a captive dwarf, it signals the start of a rebellion straight from legend. In the ensuing chaos, the former warrior slave Dracus Shah Timuran, with a small group of slaves, flees for his life and freedom, Lured by a melody that conjures visions of dark wings, scales, and fire. There's exactly one review on Amazon. uh, Five stars. Enthralling epic fantasy. Unfortunately, it's by Harriet Klausner. Oh. So, Mm -hmm. I don't know what that... So, you don't know what that means. I still don't understand. Yeah, I have no idea what that means. uh, Because I don't know what what Harriet Klausner is. Mm -hmm. She's a... Like a tweeting robot who does reviews on Amazon, or <laughs> it's an actual person who actually reads books, or what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Phil Gigante's a great narrator. Yes, he is. Yeah, and that's that's mm-hmm. a positive thing. Sure is. Yeah, that's from Brilliance. You, you said right? Yes, it is. Brilliance. Okay. Yeah, because he's a Brilliance narrator. Mm-hmm. He was All just right. interviewed on SF Signal too. Oh, cool. Oh. Uh, on the podcast? Yes. Oh, nice. Tracy Hickman oh, or... Um, he, yeah, Tracy Hickman. Oh, Tracy Who Hickman. Who did okay. they interview? Uh, Patrick Hester, the greatest podcast host oh, of all time. Okay. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> all right. Okay, another one here from Brilliance. This is a series that I've never read, but I remember in high school um, there were a lot of these books floating around. Um, this is by... Uh, this is called Titus Awakes, The Lost Book of Gormengast by Maeve Gilmore, based on a fragment by Mervyn Peake. Now, Mervyn Peake is the one who wrote the Gormengast novels, right? Right. And this is performed by Simon Vance. It's a, it's a short one, uh, another five hours. Um, in Titus Awakes, the 77th Earl of Groan leaves the crumbling castle of Gormengast and finds a larger world even stranger than his birthplace. Confronted by elemental and human threats, snowstorms, shipwrecks, and attempts on his life, Titus's bravery is tested, and he must fight to free himself from the claims of his past. Um, it's, and then it goes on to say, Peak began this fourth and final volume of the Gormengast stories, but died having only written a few pages. Using notes and fragments he left behind, his wife... 
the writer and painter Maeve Gilmore has created a richly imagined sequel that fans of the Gorman Gas trilogy will delight in. Read uh, by Simon a, Vance. So, uh, one review. One of the on, most terrific narrators. Yeah, he's, he's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, uh, for uh, June, he did a podcast, uh, not a podcast, he did a, a YouTube video a day. Mm-hmm. Um, that oh, was yeah, kind of interesting. That's right. Did you see that? From his garden. Yeah, you told me about it. No, no, this one wasn't from his garden. That oh, was his old, okay. his old YouTube videos. Okay. His, his new YouTube video is from his office. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's like 30, it's supposed to be 30 seconds long, uh, once, once, once a day or something like that. But um, <laughs> I, was, I was really comforted by the video because he's got like all these audiobooks behind him. Mm-hmm. And for the whole 30 days, none of them move. None of the things on the shelf <laughs> move at all. And I was like, <laughs> oh, good. So... He's not like in there reorganizing. That that justifies me not reorganizing my bookshelves every day. I'm looking at hearing him talk and looking at his bookshelves. He's got all these audio books on the shelf, and they're not they're not being moved at all um, <laughs> in the in the entire 30 day space. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's there's one review of this new uh, book. This is a brand new book, uh, the Gorman Gast fourth book in the series, and it's. Uh, two stars. It says, The Garmin Gas Trilogy is one of the great works of speculative fiction. The first two volumes combine characterization reminiscent of Dickens this, with a strong sense, uh, sorry, visual sense of Tolkien and elements of Kafka's fantastic internal logic. Um, and then it skips down. I give Titus Awakes two, two stars due to the sentiment and opportunity to experience Garmin Gas again, albeit in a second-hand manner. Standing alone, this book is is... A quiet coming-of-age novel. Titus' adventures are the same, bordering on prosaic, and his epiphany, uh, save for the final page, seemed only tangentially related to his experiences in the narrative. His quest lacks a goal, and the setting does not have a strong sense of place. And the only worthy character addition is too soon discarded. So, um, But what does Harriet Klausner think? Uh, we, we'll have to wait a couple of hours before she finishes reading it. Okay. I guess. <laughs> wait, um, wait for her to boot up. Yeah, yeah, that's right. She's rebooting now. She can only write so quickly. Mm-hmm. But uh, I haven't read any Gorman Gast, although I, I, didn't they make a movie or something or a tele- television show, television miniseries out of it? Hmm. Yeah, I, Not that I, know. I don't recall that one. But I just remember those books floating around all the time when I was in high school. It seemed that, you know, them and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is what, uh, yeah, it, was a, it seems t- like a all, everybody series. that was into reading read those books. And I read the Hitchhiker's Guides, but never the, the Gormenghast. Yeah, they seem to have a good reputation, but I've never actually read them. Yeah. I, I think this mm-hmm. one was, uh, like, the author is dead, and they reconstructed this from his notes, maybe? Yeah, that's what it said. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it said. Um, the BBC series came out in 2000. Four uh, episodes long. Um, uh, what I saw the trailer didn't make me very excited to read the book. It, it you know, gothic or uh, grotesque. You know the word grotesque. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to look that up the other day, and we think we know what it means. It's like gothic. It's a style of architecture. So when you say, "Oh, that's grotesque," uh, I use it like normally as a synonym for gross, right? Like disgusting. Mm-hmm. But really, it's it's like just ornate, detailed, um, uh, with 
maybe too much um, too much uh, detail or something like that. <laughs> and seeing the the trailers for that series long ago made me say, I don't really want to read this book because that it's it's like um, just really I don't know <laughs> grotesque. <laughs> <laughs> Does it have a lot of fantasy elements, or it's just kind of uh, gritty, like a George R. R. Martin book? I think I think it's. Um, uh, let's see. I I don't know. Um, series consists of three novels: Titus Grown, Gorman Gast, and Titus Alone. A novella, Boy in Darkness, tells the story of a brief adventure. Uh, Peak had intended to write a series following Titus Grown throughout his life, as well as detailing his relationship. With Gorman Guest. Okay, genre and style. Here we go. Series is usually described as a fantasy work. However, the books have no magic and no intelligent races other than humans, which is unusual in high fantasy, such as Lord of the Rings. Another valid classification would be place Gorman Guest in the genre of the fantastic, with marked gothic and surrealist influences. It may also be considered a fantasy of manners. Oh, what's that? Uh, a fantasy literature that partakes in the nature of comedy of manners. Okay, that's a comedy of manners. <laughs> comedy of manners is a genre of play television which satirizes the manners and social affectations of class. It's a long dinner party. Aha, okay. okay. Yeah, so I guess it's like Game of Thrones. There's only fantasy on the last page. Uh, yeah. If yeah. at all. <laughs> Well, no, they mention dragon eggs very, very, very early in it, right? And it's just they don't; those those things don't come to hatch until later, right? That's a metaphor. That was not a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next All right, book. Next book. Everybody, everybody knows, <laughs> right? I've been on TV. Okay, this is um, the Iron Druid Chronicles, book three, I believe. Um, this one's called Hammered by Kevin Hearn. <laughs> the first, I, you know, hexed, hexed, hammered. There's another one. Performed by Luke potions. Daniels. Um, too many potions. He's too many potions. Thor, the Norse god of thunder, is worse than a blowhard and a bully. He's ruined countless lives and killed scores of innocents. After centuries, Viking vampire Leif Helgerson is ready to get his vengeance, and he's asked his friend Atticus O'Sullivan, the last of the Druids, to help take down this Norse nightmare. And that's that. <laughs> I, I, I like the cover. Yeah, it's kind of cool. But, uh, yeah. Viking vampire Leif Helgerson. Yep. Um, po- very positive reviews, 17 reviews, uh, and it's four is and it, a half. Is it YA? Can you tell? Uh, well, from the cover, it looks YA. Let's see. No, it says adult fiction on this. It actually says that. Unabridged okay. adult fiction. All right. So, yep. Fun okay. satirical urban fantasy, says Harriet Klausner. <laughs> it's a comedy of manners. I can't trust what she says, so I'll just find... Uh, out butchering the butcher. And someone give that dog a bacon latte. <laughs> okay, that's quite a review. <laughs> All right. Okay, well, I've got one more here that I'm not sure. I haven't read the description on the back of this, so I'm not sure if this is a a noir book or what. It's not. It, I, I doubt that it's science fiction or fantasy, but it's from Penguin Audio. It's called Very Bad Men, 
a novel by Harry Dolan, read by Eric Davies, unabridged. So here goes. Anthony Lark has drawn up a list of names. Terry Daughtry, Sutton Bell, Harry Comerin. To his eyes, the names glow red on the page. They move. They breathe. Daughtry is in prison. Bell has a wife and daughter and a good job. Cormoran lives alone. They have little in common except that 17 years ago they were involved in a notorious crime, the robbery of Great Lakes Bank. Now Anthony Lark is hunting them, and he won't stop until every one of them is dead. David Lugan is living in Ann Arbor and with Detective Elizabeth Washkey and her daughter Sarah. He's settled into a quiet routine as editor of the mystery magazine Gray Streets until one day he finds an envelope outside his office door. The manuscript inside begins with the deadly hook. I killed Henry Cormoran. Soon both David and Elizabeth are drawn into Anthony Lark's violent world. As Elizabeth works to track Lark down and uncover his motives, David befriends Lucy Navarro, a tabloid reporter with a crazy theory about the case, a theory that threatens to implicate some very powerful people. And when Lucy disappears without a trace, David decides her theory might not be so crazy after all. Well, it can't be noir because it's a series. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my that's my theory on noir. Um, and uh, it's number two in a series. Really? Um, yeah. David Lugan, I guess, is the the detective. I see. Um, it's kind of a or, nice premise. I mean, that would be. It sounds, sounds sounds good to me. Pretty. Yeah. Sounds gritty. Um, positive reviews on Goodreads, four point one nine <clears throat> on five. So very good. With uh, thirty one ratings and twenty five mm-hmm. reviews. Yeah. Could be good. Could be. Could be. All right. That's all I have in my stack, fellas. Okay. I I okay. do have a recent arrival myself, mm-hmm. um, inspired by uh, the one a good story is hard to find podcast that I haven't listened to yet. I have a paper copy of Stories of Your Life and other All stories. Right. It's Yang. All right. Very nice. <laughs> so I, I was hoping to be able to have an audiobook version out there. Well, damn them. They won't make <laughs> me an audiobook version. I'll For- read it aloud myself. <laughs> Free Ted to myself, I guess. Oh. Um, it's it's uh, not that the, the cover with all the words that shape, shape into a head. Yeah, mm-hmm. or letters. Uh, actually, right. they're not letters. They're um, Greek math. Yeah, symbolic logic. I hate that stuff. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's not a great cover. However, um, it's got the stories in it, and I don't think you. I haven't listened to your podcast yet. But did you guys go into the uh, afterwards and stuff? In the end, um, not not really. We just focused on three of the stories because we knew we couldn't talk about all of them in a decent amount of time. So we talked mostly about the first story, and then um, which is Tower, Tower of Babylon, of Babylon. and yeah. then um, story of your life, and then the hell is the absence of God. Yeah. So we so there, we may have mentioned the other ones, but um, we focused on three of them because we knew that it would take too long to. Discuss yeah. everyone. Well, the um, uh, there's it's nice. I think though, in the afterward uh, for hell is the absence of God. He talked about um, the book of Job. We did talk about that, and that's yeah. where we would have gotten that from. That's right. Actually, he also talks about the movie The Prophecy. Yeah, yeah. Um, was that Gabriel Byrne? Is that who's in it? Or no, no, I don't think Gabriel Byrne's in it. Um, Maybe it, it's uh, a movie about um, these angels. 
Yeah, it's I've actually seen a fairly good movie. It. Yeah, um, it's about the angel Gabriel, and he's you know there's supposed to be a big war in heaven. That's where Lucifer and a third of the angels got cast down to hell. Yeah, the angels aren't so friendly in this. Right, movie. and then the Gabriel has decided that he's sick and tired of what's going on too, so he wants to split away. So it's a second war in heaven, mm. and uh, that's what it's about. Some spillage onto Earth. Right. They're, because they want this soul of this um, terrible man that would help them win the war in heaven. He was a general in Vietnam. Mm. So. Oh, it sounds like you know it pretty well. I've seen I it. I remember yeah. seeing it years and years ago, but <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't remember much yeah, about I've it. I've seen it. I liked it. It, had, um, it was pretty cool. It had, um, let's see, the Gabriel was played by, um, oh, I can't remember his name. Christopher Walken? Was yeah, that's him. Chris- Christopher Walken, right. Oh, he played the yeah. angel Gabriel. So that was cool. I, I was saying Gabriel Byrne, but mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not Gabriel Byrne. It's Christopher Walken <laughs> playing right. the angel Gabriel, right? And he was not a very nice angel. No, he wasn't. No. Nope. We're having a war. And Satan, in Satan heaven. was in it. Um, <laughs> uh, the guy who played, um, gosh, I'm terrible with names today. Um, the guy who played um, Strider in Lord of the Rings oh, was um, Satan. Yeah. And he was very effective. That was a, a he, he did a great job. Really fantastic. Oh, Elias Katanis was in it as well. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was the he was the lead character. He was the, Thomas Daggett. Yeah, Thomas Daggett. He was a priest who, uh, well, he did, he didn't take his vinyl vows as a priest. So he was trained as a as a Catholic priest and then um, didn't take his vows. He instead became a. Um, uh, not a private investigator. He's a detective for the police. Um, he's actually on a new television show that I've been watching that I quite like. It's uh, a Canadian series. I think that's airing on uh, ABC. Mm-hmm. It's, um, uh, it's called Combat Hospital. It's basically a remake of MASH. Mm-hmm. Oh, except yeah. not as a comedy. It's a it's a drama. Mm-hmm. Um. I guess Mash had some dramatic episodes as well, and it's a it's an hour long show or forty minute show, you know how they are, um, and it's set in Afghanistan. Oh, interesting! Sort of good an show. International, international idea, you know, Americans, Canadians, and Australians working at in Kandahar Airport, or not in the airport at, at a hospital in Kandahar near mm-hmm. the airport. <clears throat> uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty good. It's um, uh. It's great acting, and um, and our hero is uh, Elias Koteas. Well, he's not the hero. He's <laughs> he's the commander of the uh, of the base, I guess, and the lead. It's nice to see him as a, in a non uh, creepy Luciferian role, sort of thing. You know, <laughs> he tends to play the bad guy. Psych- psych- yeah. what, he was the psychopath in that movie you did for a good story. Yeah, what Fallen. Right. Yeah, I, you know, I never did make the connection that those are the same person, but they are the same person. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah, kind of funny. Acting. Yep. Well, acting. Yeah. acting. He's sort of been typecast, though. He's best known for his roles in, in <clears throat> Prophecy and Fallen. Mm-hmm. Oh, and live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle films. <laughs> 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 Which I don't remember very well, mm. and thank God. Neat. That's I, nice. I, I was thinking of Constantine when you guys were talking about angels and stuff. Oh, yeah. Constantine. Starring, oh, that's uh, the movie with another Canadian. What's his name? Keanu Reeves? Keanu, yeah. Keanu Reeves is Canadian? It's from Saskatchewan. I didn't know that. Oh. He, uh, I don't know. I, sh- I shouldn't be negative, I, but 
I'm not, oh, not a big Keanu Reeves he's, fan. He's actually a good actor. Um, he's, I, he's, I, I don't know. <laughs> if you he, watch that movie... Uh, he, doesn't have a, he doesn't have a big range. He doesn't have a big range, but he does. He's, you know, he's more like a character actor who, because he's good looking, um, uh, tends to take the lead role in movies. But if you look at the films that he chooses, he chooses pretty good movies most of the time. And and the ones that people complain about, like the Bill and Ted movies, that was the beginning of his career, right? And people take anything at the beginning of his career. I thought the first one was a classic. It's it's a fun uh, movie. I'll, I'll vouch for the first. Part I'm not sure he's a great character in the movie, right? It's right. not a great role, but the movie itself is pretty funny. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think people give him... A, I, I, his biggest problem to me is that he did those second and third uh, Matrix movies. Those were terrible. <laughs> yeah, I think now people look at him as Neo and they try to cast him as another Neo. No, he's he's done some, you know, he's done some other action movie roles and cop roles and that sort of thing. But his big his first big movie was Speed, which I, right. I think is actually uh not a bad movie. Um and he didn't he didn't sign up for the second one, which was wise. So yeah, people give him a lot of crap, but he's actually he's you know, he's he's done some Shakespeare. He's it's not uh he's not that terrible. All righty then. Yep. <laughs> okay, I got one more. All right. Uh, just a comic book uh, that I, I've been getting uh, since since I heard about it on uh, on Blair Butler's podcast. Um, Northlanders. I got the latest Northlanders, which is uh, called Metal and other stories. And I think that's a probably a collection of short shorter uh, Northlanders series. It's basically Viking stories with with a lot of them can be noir because they're, although it's a series in the sense that it's all called Northlanders, it's set in all different times, time periods, and uh, all different uh, characters. I don't think they've, maybe they've done one sequel. Um, and it's just sort of doing stories about Vikings. Good good stuff. And different Is artists. Is that by Garth Ennis? No, sadly. Sadly, oh. it's not. It's Brian Wood. But um, okay. that's not too bad. Um, I, I like Viking stuff. I think that's fun. Yeah, and it's I good like Viking series. stuff too. It's a sort of um, uh, because because it's not um, the same every time. It, some are better than others, but um, definitely worth checking out. I think this is the last volume, or if it's not, there's going to be just one more or something like that. So it's nice to finish it off. Hmm. Well, good. Well, what else have we got, fellas? Have we got some... Uh, oh, let's you guys were looking up some other stuff? Yeah. What have you got? Um, I, I was Well, speaking of comic books, I just read uh, Blade vs. the Avengers by Mark Miller. And uh, basically, a lot of the superheroes become vampires. <laughs> so hmm. it, it, was, it, was, it was fun. Didn't they come, become zombies a couple of years ago? Yeah, it's kind of the same idea. Like, instead of... Yeah, Marvel Zombies, that was really good, the first one. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same idea. Instead of zombies, they become vampires. But, uh, I mean, I thought it was fun. And you read this one, uh, Blade versus the, the Avengers? It's actually uh, Ultimate Avengers, maybe Volume 3. Okay. But it's all about vampires and superheroes. So is Iron Man in the Avengers in this, or has he moved on? Yeah. Okay. And actually, he has, like, a twin brother that's blonde. I don't know where that came from. Okay. And the well, twin brother thinks he's better than Tony Stark. 
Mm. It's the first time I've ever heard of it. Mm. And the art is just kind of average, but the story is, is it, really Is witty. his name Ridley Stark? Mm. Uh, I, I forget. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I might be getting over the vampire thing. Right. I don't know. And zombies I'm definitely over. It, it, was, it was a pretty fresh take on it, though. I, like I guess I'm not over zombies. I'm still, re- I'm still waiting for the the Walking Dead to the the next volume to come out. Yeah, and the TV show's coming back. Well, that's a ways away yet, right? Probably going to do that for sure. Christmas or something. Oh, I figure. Yeah, I'm not sure. No, I, I think the uh, the latest volume seven of the big. I know uh, the 14th trade paperback just came out for for uh, Walking Dead, and that should mean that the Maybe the uh, the giant ones that I'm collecting, uh, I don't know, Ultimate Edition, whatever they're called, Prestige or whatever they they label them that are more expensive and oversized. I'm waiting for that to come out because it's it's fun reading. It's he is like George R. R. Martin. You know, he's he's very much likes to keep you on your toes by killing people off and not making anybody safe. And we need more storytelling like that. Right. It's amazing he kept that going for so long. Well, it's, it's uh, no end in sight, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. As long as there's humans left. I suppose that's true. I, I wonder how uh, how much time in, in story time there's actually been passing. Because I, I think you just all you do is you sit on top of a mountain with a lot of canned food and wait for the zombies to rot enough that they they won't rot. You know, they, <laughs> they are rotting flesh, right? It's, the flesh can't take that long to rot. Bones, bones off the flesh less than a year right why not just sit on that mountaintop and and wait wait until they're all all completely rotted (laughs) it'd be all right that'll take all the fun out of it well yeah i i think i think that it's just something they don't think about right yeah um i there was one there was one zombie book i reviewed not that long ago and and it talked about uh, it was told from a zombie's point of view and it talked about the different stages of of uh, decay and how this person was in this stage, but I think they were supposed to take years and years and years and years and years to get through the different stages, and that's just not rotting. That's just that's bullshit. That's because they'd have to be healing themselves and then rotting, and then healing themselves and then rotting, and that wouldn't work. So, uh, yeah, they're they're horror. They're definitely not science fiction. Mm-hmm. I think that's got to be the case. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make any sense, really. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. what else? What else you got? Uh, well, this isn't in audio yet, but I was going to mention Rule Thirty Four by Charles Strauss. It's actually going to be on recorded books in uh, oh, September, yeah. but the book is is out in stores right now. Hmm. So I, I thought I'd mention it. It's it's kind of a. Um, do you want me to like find it and read the summary? Yeah, um, yeah. I was look. I well, looked what, up. What, uh, while you're looking for that, I was just wondering: has anybody? Um, listen to a Strauss novel on audio? Hmm. No, I I'm just wondering because um, you know I've listened to some short stories. There's a few from Infinibox. Um, a Colder War is one that leaps to mind because I love that story. Um, but I was just wondering how Strauss comes off on audio. If it's too difficult, um, too complex, or... I did uh, a review of Sad Children. Uh, okay. Uh, you don't remember that one? I guess. You weren't listening to me. <laughs> I'm sure I was listening to you. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was, uh, it was last April, uh, mm-hmm. one uh, 2010 April. I okay. up the review, and um, 
it it was uh let's see what i said uh that that's the, saturn's children is about the one uh it's about a universe in which humans have died off and our robots uh slaves have been uh replaced us and they are trying to go about the business of running their own lives without having any point to them mm-hmm. um that's it's kind of in the style of Heinlein, right yeah, that was uh, basically like inspired by Friday, that, that Heinlein novel, I would say. Okay, I haven't read that. Let's see what I said here. Um, God, this guy wrote a lot of stuff, and I don't see any entry, entry point here. I'm talking about my own review. Mm. You're supposed to laugh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Saturn's Children is told from the point of view of Freya Nakamichi, 47, a gynoid, that's female android, She's activated, born, long before the last human has died. Freya, despite ever having met one, still longs for her lost love, any human. Indeed, even more than the, the thought of a human, even the mere thought of a human makes her sexually excited. This is because, as a self-described grande horizontal, <laughs> horizontal uh, Freya's destiny was to become a sexual companion to any human that owned her. Now, without a master, she works where and when she can, but after a nasty run-in with an Aristo, a wealthy robot, uh, Freya will take any work that she can get, get her off the planet. And basically, it's a an intergalactic, uh, not intergalactic, interstellar um, uh, jumping around from place to place, and uh, lots of uh, it's basically lots and lots of sex. Hmm. Um, and it, it's a fun. It's terrible. a fun. No, it's not terrible. <laughs> It's, uh, it's, I'm being sarcastic. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, uh, I guess it's mostly sort of a, not a parody, parody or or a satire, but a inspired by uh, Friday and the other novel, which uh, just came out as an audiobook recently. Uh, I will fear no evil, which is about the uh, Heinlein-esque person who gets hurt in a car accident and has his brain transplanted into the body of his his secretary. Which is uh, kind of a weird Heinleinian way to go, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's um, uh, the only bad thing about the audiobook was the cover art was kind of crappy. Um, the original paper art was good. The cover art for the recorded recorded books sort of mixed. They sometimes have good cover art and sometimes it's terrible. So, what's gotcha. Rule Thirty Four mean though? I can't. I remember that it's thing about the internet, right? Yeah, um, if uh, there's a porn version of anything on the internet, that's rule thirty-four. Is there's a porn version of anything on the internet? What's what's rules one through thirty-five? Are they those <laughs> about the internet? Is- uh, I have no idea. <laughs> Maybe they just randomly pick that number. Urban Dictionary Rule Thirty-Four: Generally accepted internet rule that it states that pornography or sexually related material exists for any conceivable subject. <laughs> right. <laughs> So there could be a porn version of this podcast somewhere. That means like space, <laughs> space porn, you know, like they show right. a picture that's io9. They say space porn, and they show a NSFW. They show a picture of a nebula or something, and you say, "Ooh, sexy!" <laughs> that's one sexy nebula. That's so sexy. It's inflamed. <laughs> it's engorged. Oh my! Anyway, <laughs> yeah. So this is this episode is our. It's the porn version of the SFF audio podcast because it's it's the one that talks a lot about 
uh, Charles Strauss novels, apparently. <laughs> right, and Robert Heinlein. And, and also, it's in completely in second person, which is kind of unusual. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, Halting State is in the same universe, and that was also all in second person. Oh. And then, and then Luke Burridge reviewed it in second person to the whole podcast. <laughs> I, think, yeah, I think I heard that one. I think that was so I told him about this book, and I go, hey, Luke, you can do it again. And he goes, uh, I hurt my brain the last time I did that. I can't do another second person <laughs> review. Yeah. Hmm. That's fun. Might be I mean, space right about on that too. Just write it in second person. Yeah, I, I mean that, that, that's the fun thing about it. You can joke about second person and Rule Thirty Four. I, I like stories told in second person. You know, when I was a kid, I used to read all those uh, uh, Choose Your Own Adventures. Mm-hmm. You know, that whole series, and there was a there's a bunch of spinoffs and or not spinoffs, but um, non. Uh, non-licensed versions of that of that same idea and they still make them a little bit you can find them if you you know every couple of years they put out something that's sort of choose your own adventure usually media tie-in but um i'm a big fan of uh, choose your own adventure style fiction because it's so different from from uh a regular book and then you can go back and read it again different way and See, uh, I, I mean, when it's done well, it's it's kind of fun, and it can be funny, too. But oftentimes, it's just completely arbitrary. Like, you, you say, I'm going to make the wise choice here. I'm going to make the, the prudent choice, and then that kills you. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go back and you say, okay, I'm going to make the craziest choice I can. Oh, that worked, right? So it doesn't reward you for being, like, a, uh, a wise reader <laughs> and making your... your, your uh, your right choice. Choose uh, if you choose to go right down the corridor to the acidic death bath. <laughs> turn to page sixty-one. <laughs> <laughs> if you choose to take the prudent course and go back home, take rule. <laughs> take page thirty-four. Right. I can uh, see that working well on computer. Well, that that's either as a game or as just online fiction. Well, that's the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy game. All those Infocon games are exactly that, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Leisure Suit Larry. Uh, no, Leisure Suit Larry is a video, a visual one, right? Yeah, it's a, it's like a visual version of an Infocom game. You just had to bring it back to the sex thing, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> it's like rated PG thirteen. Oh uh, yeah, I thought that was a, a really funny game when I played it. Yeah. All right. A- that's, anything other? That's than, where I learned the facts of anything life. other than Charles Strauss. What else you got in paper that were? Talk uh, well, I, I was going to mention Heaven's Shadow. That's on audiobook, too. What's and that's that? written by the guy that wrote the Batman movie. And uh, ah. it's, it sounds like an Arthur C. Clarke type story where an, an alien vessel is coming into our solar system. Who are you talking about? Uh, Heaven's Shadow by his two authors, Goyer and Cassot. It's in the new releases. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. Oh, you mean on. Um... On Audible. Oh, oh, okay. Let's have a look at that Audible list. So, what were you on the first page this week? Uh, really I have to look it up. Okay. I'm reading my notes. Uh, Bill Kuhn, uh, William Kuhn, his uh, eloquent voice just put out a new collection, Downloading Midnight and Other Stories. Um, now, he was talking about how great the this was. Uh, he sent me an email. Uh, I was talking, telling him about some some public domain stuff he should he should check out, and he was talking about this this collection and this author. I've never heard of William Browning Spencer. It sounds like an old old uh, author, but I have a feeling it's not. 
Uh, yeah, born 1946, award-winning novelist and short story writer. Uh, <laughs> his novel, Resume with Monsters, conflates soul-destroying H.P. Lovecraft horrors with soul-destroying lousy jobs. <laughs> 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 that sounds great. Hey, it sounds cool. good. Yeah. And then he's got a list of the... Oh, yeah. This is, this should be a good a good book. Um, so that's on the very first page uh, of this week's uh, just added or just uh, and new releases. Uh, down what is the difference between those two? Well, you were saying before, it doesn't look like there's any difference now, right? Yeah. I guess they've merged or something. They've lost says, all meaning. It says, new releases, brand new productions and titles available in audio for the first time. If you're looking for audio that's been available elsewhere but is new to Audible, please visit Just Added. And then Just Added <laughs> is exactly the same. At least in the last three weeks, there, in science fiction, there doesn't seem to be any difference between the two. Right. Um, I think that means they're probably exhausting a lot of the back catalogs of, of, mm-hmm. uh, of the other publishers. Maybe if we compare the erotica, we'll find differences. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different uh, podcast. So, oh yeah, there's the cover for Gathering a uh, Gatherer of Clouds, the Initiate Brother. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, looking at this too, they uh, they just put a bunch of Stephen Gould novels out there. Oh yeah, um, Jumper is one that has been recommended to me, but I haven't read. Um, I, that was a movie too. Yeah, they said the the book was much better than the movie. Is what I've heard. Oh no, I did Reflex. I did the review for Reflex, the yeah. sequel. And also, the they have uh, Vortex by Robert Charles Wilson, and I know I reviewed <clears throat> Spin, which is the first of that trilogy, but I haven't read the second one. Um, How'd read you like by Spin? Scott Brick. I liked Spin very much. It was a uh, definitely an ooh wow book. Okay. Yeah, I really Sounds liked it. Though. Really liked it. Um, oh, uh, there's a new. Oh, yeah, this is right. I don't know if we mentioned this before. Iambic stuff is all on Audible now. Did you know about that? Mm-mm. Yeah, so Open Your Eyes by Paul Jessup. That's a new one. Um, just came out 070511, which is this month. Yeah, and Tam, Tam has talked to me about uh, Flashback by Dan Simmons, and it's out there too. Hmm. Some good stuff here. Uh, Undead and Undetermined, no cover art. It's just the title. Hmm. Getting kind of lazy. That looks like recorded books. Let's see. There's one called Hellship by Philip Palmer. Hey, and an unbridged neuromancer. Oh, uh, that's a new that's a new one. I don't mm-hmm. think Robertson Dean has done it before. That's very interesting. Very very a penguin. Hmm. Ten hours thirty minutes. This is a brand new release. There was uh, an unabridged version from Books on Tape, uh, I think it was, and a Penguin did a, I think it was Penguin or Random House Audio maybe, uh, had an abridged version read by William Gibson, but an unabridged mass market Penguin, uh, that's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Oh, only one review, <laughs> and it's four stars? Wow. And there's a uh, 10th anniversary edition of American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Um, did That's you did you listen to the audio on that? Narrator, I'm wondering right? if they did they reread it because it's got several people in it. I, yeah, it's multiple narrators. It's was not, it in multiple narrators before? Yeah. Or is this a new? No, recording? no, no, no. Okay, 
this new recording. I think because there George Bedal been... read it, didn't he? That's right. And okay. He did a, a fantastic job. He did. There was no no reason to redo it, as far as I'm concerned, except to make money and maybe because it'll be better the second play. <laughs> <laughs> but George Goodall's awesome, and mm-hmm. that was one of the best audiobooks ever. I think that was that was. Um, I mean, I remember sitting in the car listening to that. Mm-hmm. Me saying, too. Wow, this is amazing. Yeah. Such an amazing book. Yep, it was. I think. I think. Uh, I think. I was telling you about it, or you were telling me about it at the time it came out, and I was, I was very impressed by it. No, it's going to be an HBO series. Is that what I've heard? Is that it's correct, like Tam? Do you know that? Tam, do you know anything about the HBO series of American Gods? He's muted himself. We, for may, have, we may have lost Tam. But, um, I'm here. I'm, I'm here. I'm here. Okay. I think it's Showtime, <laughs> and I think, oh, showtime. I think somehow they... I think they promised like six seasons somehow. I don't oh, know how really? they're going to do it. Wow. Yeah. So I think he's going to write a second book at least. He did. I mean, there and, is uh, a second book already, isn't there? Called um, Anansi right? Boys. No. Yeah, but it's not, uh, as as he pointed out in, in a couple of interviews, it's not really a sequel. No. Oh, okay. um, and it's not really, I mean, it's a, I think I did a review for that as well. It's um, It's not a. It's not set in this. It's not even set in the same universe necessarily. It's just uh, it uses a character that was in the other book, mm-hmm. um, or is mentioned. Yeah, is briefly mentioned in the other book. And he said it's like he borrowed a character from that book to write another book, and um, that character existed before he even wrote American Gods. He was thinking. Hmm. So yeah. uh, it doesn't feel much like American Gods. It's it. It's a very different feel to it, but it's Neil Gaiman, so it has that kind of feel to it, you know? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so I think he's working on a new book that will uh, help fill out the American Gods universe. Uh, you know, R- Julie just did a review of, um, of uh, one that I didn't review before, even though I, I actually listened to it. The Odd and, on the, Odd and the Frost Giants is mm-hmm. called. Yeah. Um, now... What bothered me, um, I, I had started to write the review of it, on it, and it, it was just so short. It was like, it's uh, one hour, 46 minutes, right? Which is very short for an audiobook. But retail price on that is $15. Um, and it's like the cheapest you could find it would be like $10, $11. And that's just terrible for two hours. Oh. Don't you think? Yeah, I mean, yeah. This is a book for kids, and when I was a kid, I bought a lot of my own books. It's not like somebody was, you know, saying Jesse, get whatever you want. It was like, no, Jesse, you'll get this maybe for Christmas, and it's like, mm-hmm. oh, damn it, you have to wait that long. And you know, you go to the library and they don't have half the stuff you want. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I would, I would look at that and I'd say, well. I want to. I want to read a Neil Gaiman book. I want to listen to this audiobook, but ten dollars for uh, less than two hours of of listening—that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, movies weren't that expensive, and maybe that's about how much they are now. But uh, as a kid, you you get a discount, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think you know Harper Collins is. They don't put uh, thought into that in terms of pricing because it's it's hard. 
Mm-hmm. You're a kid and you want to buy a book. You have to, you you don't have unlimited but you have to have to uh, take that into consideration. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you won't get something else that you want. They'll have to sell to the library. <laughs> uh, go to the library and ask them to get it, and they say yes, but it's going to take six weeks, you know. Uh. Whatever it's going to be. So, new reading of Death World on, on Audible. That's uh, one of the public domain Harry Harrisons, um, which uh, uh, I was going to say George Goodall. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. Um, Greg Marguerite. I don't know why I'm confusing the two of them. <laughs> Greg Marguerite uh, did a wonderful version of that for um, LibriVox. So, if you can't afford the Death World on <laughs> Audible, go check out LibriVox. It's got a free version read by an excellent narrator. Cool. Um, and so, how uh, there's a China Mayaville City in the City that's. That's not a new release, right? That's just a uh, new... The book is old. Yeah. Oh, no, it's by Audible. Hmm. I didn't realize that there wasn't an audiobook out for it already. An Embassy Town. That's brand new. That's from Audible as well. Wow. Hmm. Either of you familiar with a book called Hex by Alan Steele? Yeah, I read that. Is it good? Um, I like the the be first half more than the second half, like the mystery and exploration more than the landing on the hex object. Well, mm-hmm. I talked about this before. Oh, okay. Yeah, you have. That's right. Yep. It's, it's it one could... of those big dumb object books. Okay. Gotcha. With a, a Dyson sphere. Mm-hmm. All right. With six-sided shapes all linked together. Okay, mm-hmm. gotcha. Yeah. It was a, I mean, I finished it, like I said. Mm-hmm. Finishing a book is a rave review. <laughs> for, for, for me that's cool hey there's this little known book called that dance with dragons maybe we should mention that <laughs> oh. i've heard of that <laughs> Your yeah, wife my, it, my right? wife is reading the print version and uh yep she's about 270 pages in hmm. yep i i tried to read the prologue in the store and i got kind of confused but mm-hmm. uh it sounds like you don't want to camp in the woods without a lot of protection <laughs> <laughs> Bad things happen there. Yep. Especially in the George R. R. Bad things in the woods. Yep. Dot com. Um, Scott, did you listen to that? I uh, I I told you about the On Point podcast, the NPR podcast that um, I had huffed off. Did you listen to that? It um, had a no, I, I don't think I have. You, you sent it to me. It was an interview or something. Yeah, um, an interview with George R. R. Martin um, and a live, you know people calling in yeah i that, didn't that was kind of interesting mm-hmm. um and they they talked about uh one one person called in and asked uh where the series was going and he had all sorts of theories and and george armor and says yeah I'll, I'll beg off on that question i <laughs> i i'll just let the book speak for themselves mm-hmm. um, but yeah he was um he talked about uh his other stuff as well science fiction uh and and talked about how it was um you know, people, uh, they were calling it medieval fantasy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, not much magic, blah, blah, blah. And he, he's, he was, like, trying to downplay the the fact that it's it's all the same stuff. He says it's, his dad calls it weird stuff. His dad called it weird stuff. It's all the same. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
I I don't know if people know, but he was an amazing science fiction writer um, years and years ago, right? Oh, yeah. Before he started on this massive labor mm-hmm. uh, that took him off of the market of science fiction short stories, he wrote some amazing short stories that, uh, you know, Sand Kings is amazing. And uh, I read that. Night Flyers is, is yeah, also Sand excellent. Sand Kings is great. And a song for Lya, Leah, L-Y-A, okay. fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dream Songs is, is where you can find most of that stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And uh, he also talked about the the audiobook narration and Roy Dotrice and and uh, and how he got on the on it. So yeah, definitely check it out. Uh I'm the b- big problem I have with uh that show uh, is that it because it's a radio show that they, they don't assume any knowledge so they tell you a lot of stuff that mm. you already if you're if you're downloading the podcast about George R R Martin you you already know all this stuff, <laughs> right? That they spent a lot of time talking about. Yeah. Um, but on the other hand, uh, the other one that got me interested, uh, the other N- NPR On Point podcast, um, was about uh, talking about drones and um, and uh, I can't remember what they had a pilot, uh, one of the drone pilots, call in, and he he didn't want to call them drones. He wanted to call them uh, unmanned or robotic piloted you know vehicles in the sky or something you know some some technical term that they use um but then they had a a clip from the president of the united states making a joke about about them and he called them drones (laughs) everybody calls them drones but um uh, i don't know if tama knows we're gonna do forever peace um oh yeah scott told me yeah in about a month yeah i'm in for that yeah and i did the review on that years ago and I thought it was very prescient. In at the time, I thought, you know, this is this is definitely what's going to happen. Um, but what's cool about it is, is it it explores really uh, a little bit, at least, of the issues that this weird phenomena where you can go into war that we're experiencing, or I don't know, people are experiencing in the world right now. Uh, you can go into war and not have your soldiers at risk, right? You can go blow up people and explode buildings and and blow up bridges and you know stop convoys full of nasty people by you know remote control at home and it doesn't cost you anything right in the sense that if your vehicle's damaged nobody personally is hurt this is a, an interesting idea and and it's something we're living now but the difference in forever peace is that it's not just um, it's not just up in the sky. Like the Air Force is basically what we've got in remote control right now. This is not the Air Force. This is in Forever Peace. It's the ground pounders. It's the robots. Uh, I guess in a way like surrogates. You know that that uh, movie, Av- Avatars. Uh, yeah, you have a uh, robotic thing that you control, and you're on the ground enforcing the peace uh, where. You know, an IED all it does is blow up your your uh, your avatar doesn't hurt you. And what does that mean for for uh, society? So Scott was saying it, it was you know is it a sequel to Forever War? No, not at all. In the sense that it's about soldiers on the ground, you know, not soldiers in the sky or at sea, but soldiers on the ground. It's it's similar, hmm. but uh, I think the title. 
is actually totally appropriate and would work completely independently of The Forever War, which is also an excellent novel, but I don't think it's as relevant anymore as I think this one is going to be extremely relevant. And, you know, people are going to be talking about this book when when those first, uh, not airplane drones come out, but the, you know, fighting, uh, ground-pounding drones are going to come out. Mm -hmm. So you're saying it's better than Forever War? Well, I think it's more relevant. I don't know if it's okay. I don't know if it's better. Um, I think you know the um, Forever War is is about his experience in Vietnam and coming back from war uh, and seeing the world has changed in the time that you've gone. Right. And, uh, and how you know how horrific you know anti-war. <laughs> it's an anti-war book in the sense that war is horrific rather than war is awesome. Let's go do it. Um, and forever peace is uh, war. War is something you do on on your on your uh, in between uh, the weekend and the golf golf course and lunch at Starbucks. You know, <laughs> that's that's kind of strange. And yet, just, that's what we have. Just boot up your iPad and start your app for the war. Basically, yeah. So yeah, it's it's. Uh, Dude, I, I've read Forever War, but I've never read Forever Peace, so I'm excited to read it. Yeah, it should be a, it should be a, uh, nice to revisit it because um, it's it was quite a while ago that it came out, and uh, I think drones were just sort of just beginning to become what they are now at the time. So he's very prescient in that. I think it'll be good. Great. Mm -hmm. Cool. What's next, Scott, uh, for the next podcast? <clears throat> Um, Upon the Dull Earth, I think, is what we're going to talk about. Okay, and we're, it looks like we're never going to get the permission that we've sought. No, nope, I, I don't think so. Okay, so, so uh, yep. everybody, you're going to have to find your own copy of <laughs> Upon the Dull Earth. We looks like we cannot provide it because uh, we did not get permission to put it out. But um, we should we should have a contest or something to give away the copy we've got. What do you think? <laughs> sure, you bet we should. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. What what should the, be, uh, the contest be? Um, boy, we'll have to think about it. Hmm. 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 Tama, what's a good idea for a contest? <laughs> uh, I don't know. How about how about the first one to send me a hundred dollars? <laughs> that's a that's quite a contest. <laughs> It's basically a test of how rich you are. Even. <laughs> and how foolish you are, because you can get it much cheaper than that on, <laughs> on uh, Blackstone's website. Right. But yeah, they sent us an extra copy, right? Well, I, uh, yeah, I requested it. Um, I, I didn't realize that we had oh, had one. Yeah, yeah. We had, oh, I have it. Right, you have it. <laughs> yeah. I don't have it here, so I requested okay. a copy and they sent it. Yep. Okay, so uh, how about this? Uh, send in your ideas for a contest. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah what, what we're talking about here is volumes one and two from blackstone audio of well, both volumes. Um, the collected stories of philip k dick volume one and volume no, two selected. selected selected yep yeah. not collected selected <laughs> yeah because it's not everything not even close to everything mm -hmm. um and upon the dull earth is uh i thought it was a later story in his his career for some reason, I thought, "Oh, look at—he's developing his skills now. He's so literary and mm -hmm. and and uh, poetic." And actually, it's not. It's it's still quite early in his career. Hmm. I think it's from 1954, um, and it's a fantasy. I think it's pretty fantastic. Uh -huh. um, 
And uh, so we'll that we'll do that as a read along for next week, and um, uh, maybe by so, then we'll know what the contest is. Sounds good. Tell me your question. I was going to ask: Is it like an urban fantasy or like a medieval fantasy? It's more. It's more rural. Right. Um, you know, it kind of reminded me. Uh, now that you say that, uh, Scott, didn't you guys do a? Um, on a good story is hard to find. Didn't you do a uh, urban fantasy by Charles DeLint? Yeah, we did. The Mystery of Grace. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 your guys' description of that kind of made me think of uh, Upon the Dollar Earth just now. So, hmm. Yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah, we, we got to, you know, th- these lines are getting all blurred, but by urban fantasy means that it's a, a fantasy that kind of takes place in modern day. Yeah, in a city, but right. there's no vampires and things like that in it. You know, romance vampire stuff. It's not like there's no that. Tattoos? Uh, there is tattoos. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. yeah, that one had tattoos on the cover. Even. Yeah, oh. yeah, there are tattoos, but uh, yeah, so it's not a a vampire romance or a vampire on werewolf. That's paranormal. Vampire... I think, that's par- I think we we got it straightened out. Don't that's paranormal romance, right? <laughs> right. So yeah, okay, so we need so to call those ones. Fantasy. We need to call those ones paranormal romances, and then keep urban fantasy for what uh, Delint writes. Uh, yeah, and mm-hmm. now as to upon the dull earth, I would say that it is an uh, urban fantasy that's actually a romance. Literally, <laughs> <laughs> oh. it's about it's, a it's it's about it's a, the first paranormal romance ever written. Well, it's pretty old. Uh, it's 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 got that to it, and. Um, I think though that it's it's very uh bleak in the sense um traumatic and also Philip K Dick and it's it's quite a bit different from his other stuff and that it's uh it's kind of grim but mm-hmm. it's also excellent. I I really like this story. Cool. So I hope you guys do too. Right. It's about 100 pages like a novella. Oh no, it's not that long. It's maybe oh, okay. 30 or 40 pages. Oh okay. Maximum. Yeah, so okay. it, it's easy, easy listen. I think shorter than Space Merchants, <laughs> much shorter than sh- Space Merchants, um, but also um, I, it's better written. I think. I think Space Merchants is a really, it's got some really, really great stuff in it, but this one is very well written. I think. Okay. Maybe they'll make a movie out of it. Uh, <laughs> probably, probably, and it, it probably won't resemble anything. They, they will make play up the romance quite a bit, and then yeah, it already has the romance. They don't have to add it, uh, like, like in uh, adjustment team. But they will <laughs> definitely change the ending because there's no way they can sell a movie based on that oh. thing. So it's downbeat. Yeah, super downbeat. Uh oh. But not uh, and noir-ish, but not uh, not ruinous, perhaps. <laughs> This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.